Hi folks, thanks for tuning in and joining us for this edition of Scotland Matters SLE's podcast. My name is Sarah Madden and I'm your host for this edition. I'm the policy advisor for rural communities here at SLE and I'm joined by Mark Miles, partner and head of Scotland planning at Bidwells. Mark's here to speak about the National Development Planning for Scotland's rural areas and specifically the fourth draft national planning framework, which is open for consultation, closing on the 31st of March. Welcome, Mark. I'm just wondering if you could, first of all, give us a wee bit about your background and your experience in development management first. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me on to this podcast. And I've worked in planning in Scotland for over 30 years. I started my career um, with Perth and Kinross District Council, as it was back then, as an area planning officer. So I did that for about nine, ten years, and then moved into the private sector, working down in Edinburgh for a period of time before actually setting up uh, my own planning consultancy. Did that for about 12, 13 years, and then joined Bitwells about three and a half years ago to head up the planning team in Scotland. We cover the whole of Scotland, and we, we deal with various applications from new maltings proposals to major housing, to industrial land, uh, retail parks, um, to small-scale rural developments and steading conversions, etc. So it's a full range of work that we get involved with, applications, appeals, and development plan work as well. Fab, so you'll be an expert in MPF4 then? <laughs> well. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Try and give some insight into it, yes. Perfect. So to start with, could you explain what the draft national planning framework is and I suppose how it's relevant and how it is important for Scotland's rural areas and, and what its significance is going to be once it is implemented? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the Planning Act in Scotland basically sets out a requirement for a spatial plan, um, which is to be known as the National Planning Framework. It's a long-anticipated draft, this MPF4, it was originally forecast to be published in the autumn of 2020, but then COVID obviously took over. So mm. it was eventually published in November last year by the Scottish Government. And given that climate change and the climate emergency are key themes and referenced over 100 times within the document, it's probably no coincidence that the publication coincided with the, the timing of the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Mm. The, the Act basically sets out the, the National Planning Framework has to when it comes into operation, it has to contain a statement about how it uh, contributes to a series of six specific outcomes. And those are improving the health and well-being of our people, increasing the population of rural areas, uh, meeting housing needs, improving equality and eliminating discrimination, meeting the targets for emission of greenhouse gases, and also securing positive effects for biodiversity. So as you can see from here, from those, uh, all six have a direct relationship uh, with rural land use and land management across Scotland, with one being actually quite explicit in terms of increasing the population of rural areas of Scotland. Mm -hmm. the, the first national planning framework was published in 2004, and then second, five years later, and after another five years later. So we have been kind of overdue this, this version. Um, but for the first time, MPF4 will actually form part of the development plan in Scotland. So that's quite a significant change. And the, the current situation where you've got Scottish planning policy and the MPF3 as it is at the moment, which are material considerations and the determination of applications, uh, will both kind of vanish. The, the Scottish planning policy is obviously going to be incorporated into the new MPF4 
although it's noted already that some of the policies in the current Scottish planning policy have just been transposed over into the new draft. So basically, the MPF is going to have an enhanced status and increased importance. I think the other thing just to quickly note is that the demise of the, the sort of city regions and the strategic development plans in Scotland. So for the first time, the, the national planning framework is also going to set out a centralised approach to housing land requirements for each planning authority in Scotland. And at the moment, it sets out the draft um, over 200,000 new homes forecast to be required across the country over the next 10 year period. Now that's certainly challenging because Scotland has never met that requirement, certainly not in recent years. Mm. I think you know, planning for housing has also been one of the most contested areas of the planning system. And it's become increasingly litigious in recent years as well. And it's almost become an art in itself and industry in itself in terms of forecasting housing need. So I think it's hoped that by setting out the targets uh, in the national planning framework, it's going to consume less time and resources for everybody involved in the process. So the first section of MPF 4 sets out a, a national spatial strategy and some national strategic programmes. Could you perhaps explain and expand on one, what the document says about these, and two, you know, whether you think they can deliver for rural communities and, and businesses? Yeah, sure. Um, the document basically says that rural areas um, are expected of vibrant communities and with the natural assets offering a significant opportunity for long-term carbon sequestration and also offering a greener, fairer and more inclusive well-being economy. So all very kind of noble and high-level stuff, but to achieve the target of net zero emissions by 2045, the investment in the climate innovation and nature-based solutions to mitigate climate change whilst also addressing the biodiversity loss, forms a key area of the national spatial strategy for the rural islands and the coastal communities. Mm -hmm. um, the national spatial strategy also identifies uh, national strategic programmes that apply probably equally to urban and rural areas. Uh, and some of those include the creation and enhancement of the, the blue-green networks that we have or can create. Also, the, the concept of 20-minute neighbourhoods and local living, uh, active travel networks, and also improvements and enhancements to the, the digital fibre network. So in terms of creating distinctive places, the draft MPA4 makes very bold statements that future places will be distinctive, easy to move around, welcoming, nature positive and resource efficient, and will create new, new rural opportunities. So I think you know, among the spatial principles as mentioned there, um, the 20-minute neighbourhoods, and there's a clear need for balanced development across Scotland so that people have more choice about where they live, learn and work, and certainly with a desire to enable more people to live and remain in rural and island communities. And so the concept of this 20-minute neighbourhood is, is certainly not a new concept when you think about the new towns from the past and the, the sort of definition given within MPF4 talks about you know, compact neighbourhoods designed in such a way that people can meet the majority of their daily needs within a sort of reasonable walking and cycling distance. Mm. And generally that's sort of seen as being about 800 metres. Um, it does accept that the pencil needs to be adjusted to include varying sort of geographical scales from cities and urban environments to the rural and island communities. But I think it's often not practical or feasible in many areas, despite what is sort of said in the draft. 
uh, about the need for a bespoke and flexible approach to be adopted. I think in, you, know, you can think of examples where you know shops and services may be available in some small settlements, but certainly not in all rural or remote areas. And you know, examples like the closure of post offices and petrol stations are certainly not planning controlled. Instead, they're often sort of corporate or business decisions that the market dictates and decides. However, I think on the plus side, there's opportunities to create e-charging community hubs to get people to try and stop and use the small-scale local rural services alongside significant improvements and good public transport links. But again, that's often a challenge, and as we can see from the recent examples with the, the ferries. And I think with only about 10% of Scotland's 900 islands permanently inhabited and an ageing population as well, it, we do have to do a lot more to reverse the past patterns of population decline and sustain local facilities and services that support the rural and dispersed communities. So I think encouragement towards providing more homes in rural areas is certainly to be welcomed. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we've identified here at SLE is um, certainly in the policy section that we'll come on to later on is the limitations that the 20-minute neighbourhood concept has for rural <clears> communities. Yeah. Um, so this, the second part of the draft sets out different priorities for different regions of the country. Could you provide an overview of the action areas identified and, again, do they do enough? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of five broad areas identified and four of them are predominantly the sort of rural areas of Scotland with one sort of large central belt area which seems to kind of stretch from uh, Ayrshire up to Angus, so it's, it's quite a large area. Yeah. But I think in terms of the, the sort of rural areas identified, um, it, it tries to kind of narrow them down into sort of specific objectives and what they're going to achieve, but I think there's a lot of crossover between all four of them. But certainly within the north and west coastal innovation area, there's a clear need for affordable housing provision to improve the choice and access to homes in some areas and offset the impact of second home ownership and holiday homes. And we've already seen the desire to create short-term let control areas, um, not just in the urban areas, but also in the rural areas. And local solutions may also help to, to provide additional homes for key workers, temporary homes for workers in remote areas and self-build and custom-built homes as well. I think it was always hoped that the, the new permitted development rights that came into force in April 2020 to allow flexibility for rural agricultural and forestry buildings to be converted without the need for planning permission. I've probably not gone far enough because there's still a requirement for considerable levels of background information to support even the prior notifications that are required. So they've not delivered, the permitted development rights have not delivered the large numbers of new rural, rural home opportunities that have been hoped because basically the costs and the detailed information required to support the prior notification is effectively, it's no different to support, uh, submitting a planning application. I think improving the digital connectivity is a priority to sustain the sort of current rural businesses and create smart communities to unlock the opportunities for sort of further business growth and remote working, and also future community growth, more feasible, make it more feasible. Looking at the kind of northern revitalisation area, which basically covers most of the Highlands area in Argyll. It said that a positive approach to rural development should work within a network of hubs and future service provision will require imaginative solutions so that places can be resilient and self-supporting. Well, that's probably self-evident, to be honest, but 
I think investment in strategic health, justice and education facilities is already planned, including longer term digital solutions and also improvements in the remote health services and virtual education as well. The area is also seen as being able to act as a strategic carbon and ecological mitigation bank um, that can play a major contribution to Scotland's climate change commitments, which obviously forms a big part of the MPF4. And a, pro a programme of investment in the forestry, woodland creation, uh, native woodlands and peatland restoration as well, will also play a, a key role in reducing Scotland's emissions, providing sort of further investment opportunities, um, supporting the ecosystems and the biodiversity and so to the benefit of the sort of current and future generations. I think there's also opportunities to explore the decarbonisation of the forestry sector and the transport of timber and to build community wealth around new businesses, such as the nationally important tree nursery in Murray, which is looking to expand at the moment. Then looking sort of further east in the northeast transition area, this is basically Aberdeenshire and Murray. It basically says it will evolve with industry and business moving away from the oil and gas sector, as we know, towards a, a cleaner, greener future uh, with cleaner energy choices, including hydrogen and offshore renewables, are said to have a natural home here. But a new focus on local living could help to address high levels of car ownership in this area, though, and growth corridors could be explored to respond to the existing dispersed settlement pattern. Um, in the, the sort of southern sustainability area, as it's referred to, which includes most of the borders and from Friesen Gallery, it's said that finding a new way for rural living that is consistent with climate change will be a challenge for this part of Scotland, given the high levels of dependence on the car and its dispersed population. Despite the area benefiting from high levels of well-being and quality of life, population decline is projected to continue, particularly in the west of the area, although the area does have aspirations to become a prime outdoor recreation and green tourism destination. Uh, the south of Scotland is also seen uh, in the document as being an important centre for renewable energy generation and proposals for consolidating and extending existing wind farms and associated grid improvements and supply opportunities will require a carefully planned approach, but I think that equally applies to the rest of the country. Yeah, definitely. And, and something that we've thought about as well is, you know, how will this, how will that practically be delivered? And these regional sections that cross over many different local authority areas, how is that practically going to come together in line with regional land use partnerships as well? So that's definitely something that will need a lot Absolutely. of consideration as well. Yeah. Moving on to the national development section. So MPF4 sets out specific national developments. Do you think this provides, you know, a significant advantage during the planning process? for the projects that are identified? And do you think there are any other developments that perhaps have been missed or we would like to have seen covered at all? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's an interesting point because the draft identifies 18 national developments, which range from kind of large scale individual projects, such as Dundee Waterfront, Edinburgh Waterfront and Stranraer Gateway, to sort of wider national ambitions intended to act as exemplars of the place principle and the, so the whole sort of placemaking approach. But some of the, the national developments are repeat projects, as I say, Dundee Waterfront, which has been in certainly the last one or if not two. And to be honest, it's well underway, that project. So it's almost like, well, why is it still in the, the national planning framework? But 
some have been around from the since the first NPF as well, and then others have appeared and others have been have been dropped without explanation. So mm. there's a bit of kind of uh, well uncertainty as to how they've actually arrived at the, the 18 that they've chosen. I think one of the things that I picked up on was that in advance of the publication, there had been 259 suggested national developments put forward. In theory, inclusion doesn't actually automatically achieve any real benefit in terms of an approval, because there's actually additional procedures that you have to go through um, in terms of pre-hearings before you even get to a committee stage. However, you know, the very fact that there was 259 suggestions put forward implies that, you know, there is a belief that it does build momentum for a positive outcome and probably even some financial backing or for certain projects as well. But I think, you know, looking at the document in terms of um, sort of national developments in the rural context, the Islands Hub for Net Zero, which supports proposed developments in the Western Isles, Shetland and Orkney Islands groups for renewable energy generation, and also hydrogen production, infrastructure and shipping, and associated opportunities in the supply chain for fabrication, research and development, in particular the, the proposed Orkney Research and Innovation Campus. So those types of projects are certainly welcome, but I do think there could have been increased numbers, particularly in the kind of Highland and the Western Highland area, where there's, there's basically none identified. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the actual, the 35 Universal Scottish Planning Policies, which one, of course, does include local living in the 20-minute neighbourhoods, but there are many others that, that do directly impact across Scotland's rural areas. I wonder if you could just pick out a handful for us and just take me through them and perhaps some of the, the opportunities or limitations on those as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, as you say, the 35 policies... A number of them are actually the current Scottish planning policy, which, as I say, will vanish as, as this is uh, adopted later in the year. And it sets out, you know, 35 in total, that where there are a, a large number that relate to the, the sort of rural uh, environment. The, the first couple relate to the climate emergency and the nature of crisis, and basically all developments are required to give significant weight to the global climate emergency. But what that means in Real terms is certainly unclear at this stage. And on the nature crisis point, um, basically it's highlighting that all development plans and all scales of development put forward in planning applications should facilitate biodiversity enhancement. But there's no specific target, target set, unlike down in England where the Environment Act uh, from last year set a minimum 10% biodiversity net gain requirement for all proposals. Now, that, that could be a positive in terms of it would allow potentially an, an, a greater percentage increase. But the reality is that, you know, as we go forward through the development plans, if there's no target, then any enhancement could be seen as positive. And that could be 0.01%, you know. Mm. The local living and design quality in place policies are all about supporting this kind of 20-minute neighbourhood. But as discussed earlier, it's not a new concept, but the delivery of that is certainly challenging in rural areas and there has to be greater flexibility and realism in terms of the application of that policy. The infrastructure is a key part of what's referred to throughout NPF4 and local development plans and their delivery programmes will need to align 
with the relevant infrastructure plans and policies, including the National Transport Strategy and the National Marine Plan. But as yet, there's no indication as to how that's to be achieved. There's policy in terms of green energy. It recognises that a wide range of renewable technologies are capable of delivering significant reduction in carbon emissions. And it also highlights that out with the national parks and the national scenic areas, proposals for new wind farms should be supported unless the impacts identified are unacceptable. But that doesn't really change from the position we're in at the moment. So it doesn't really take us any further forward. And it does also highlight the existing wind farm consents that are maybe time limited. That should no longer be the case because wind farms should be suitable for use in perpetuity. Other policies, I suppose, looking at vacant and derelict land. There's a renewed emphasis to reuse vacant and derelict land across the country, including in the rural areas. But I've noted in terms of the, the definitions of brownfield land, it makes no specific mention of the opportunities also existing in the rural areas and tends to emphasise brownfield sites within cities and towns. Then policy 31 is specific reference to rural places. And this is where it encourages development that supports and sustains and grows rural areas to help stimulate a greener, fairer and more inclusive wellbeing economy, including the rural housing out with accessible or pressurised rural areas. So basically what that's saying is out with sort of green belts and the areas, countryside areas around towns or specific housing market areas around towns, development should be supported. But there's no specific reference to further opportunities being allowed within sort of building groups and clusters, which we'd normally expect as being acceptable. And I think that's a serious omission. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree with that one, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, there's other policies as well in terms of protection of soils and trees, woodland, forestry, expansion of the woodland cover and protection of existing woodland. And then also that policy in terms of looking at the coasts in terms of long-term impacts of climate change and supporting sustainable development of the coastal communities. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, there is a lot in there that is impossible <laughs> to get through in, in 15, yeah. 20 minutes. And it's a really, really ambitious document. You know, I can admire the ambition in it, but practically it'll be interesting how that unfolds. And hopefully when it is redrafted, it, you know, the Scottish Government do take into consideration all the consultation responses that they receive and it does deliver for rural communities. So I suppose in conclusion, you know, could you provide some just final thoughts on, you know, some pros and cons of the draft of MPF4 and, yeah, just what you would like it to achieve overall? Yeah, I mean, I think as noted earlier that for the first time it's, it's to become part of the development plan when assessing development proposals and that this is a significant change for the planning process in Scotland. Mm -hmm. It's going to set out the various policies that will be applied across the country. So... In effect, there's no need for then the local development plans to then repeat those policies, whereas at the moment there is a, a strong tendency for that to happen yeah. because the current NPF is only a material consideration. So that's certainly going to be a key change. I think what's disappointing is that the draft is a long document. It's 128 pages, and it's certainly more complex than the previous Scottish planning policy, which was probably also a bit clearer in setting out specific aspirations towards different parts of the planning system, like sort of development plans and also development management side of things. So I think there is a bit of a missed opportunity. And certainly the, the feeling I'm getting from speaking to others is that 
there's a lot that's either not been included or been missing. And we can only hope that the finalised version sort of takes on board a lot of the feedback that has been uh, submitted. I think there's there's also kind of lack of clarity and definitions through the draft. Mm-hmm. I think kind of highlighted one or two of those and also some contradictions in places, and particularly this 20-minute neighbourhood concept. Yeah. I think the last thing I've picked up on is that a separate delivery programme uh, document is also going to be required, but that's only going to be published in detail at the time of the publication of the sort of finalised MPF4. And I've only just realised that the Scottish Futures Trust in the last two or three weeks have had, you know, they've been sort of appointed to look at this and therefore there's no opportunity to provide comment as part of the current consultation on the whole delivery side of the infrastructure and, you know, the national developments and how they all fit into the regional spatial strategies, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, just finishing on a sort of positive, I think the enhanced status of the MPF, both in plan making and decision-making on plan applications is sure to increase interest, particularly from landowners, developers, consultants like ourselves, and also decision-makers at all levels, from MSPs down to the sort of councillors and community councillors. So I think I would just encourage everybody that's got an interest in land use and land management across Scotland to submit representations before the deadline at the end of the month. Thank you for that, Mark. And yeah, certainly the delivery section um, we identified was a bit lacking, especially a priority in terms of investment in the planning service and local authorities. I think that's going to be a huge challenge and I think there needs to be just a general levelling up of the profession altogether. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But thank you again for joining me for the podcast and thank you all for listening. I do hope you found it interesting and informative. And as Mark said, the consultation is still open until the 31st of March. So we do encourage all members, listeners and anyone with an interest in planning to um, submit a a consultation response. If you do want to know more about the issues discussed, as well as engage in lively discussion on funding, community engagement and energy efficiency, then do think about attending SLE's annual flagship conference on the 17th of May at the Sheraton Grand Hotel in Span, Edinburgh. The theme for it is housing this year, which is a really important part of our members' property and business interests. Housing's become an increasingly complex and challenging sector, so our conference does aim to provide a huge amount of advice and insight, which will hopefully benefit with long-term planning and everyday property management decisions. And as always, listeners and members are welcome to get in touch with myself to discuss MPF4 or other planning-related matters, and you can find my contact details on the Scottish Land and Estates website. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you. Bye.